0: Man, a lot of research this week. Danny and I both spent a, a few hours doing a, our point guard rankings here. We got to do our awards later this week as well. So lots of pouring over stats and film and our own preconceived notions that will never change uh, before coming up with these rankings. So why don't we get started here? Anything of particular note that you wanted to get into beforehand here, Danny?
1: Quick run through of the basic criteria it is about who you would want to have theoretically let's say there was an nba season starting right now like it's october 17th or whatever that would be a season and a playoffs who you would want most for that that means it is not a future rankings beyond that future and if players are in the same tier that means We see them as very close to each other. It is more like splitting hairs. And then if they are in separate tiers, then there is a more material difference between them. And we will explain why a player is or is not in a given tier.
0: Yeah, when we're talking about point guards... Generally, if we put someone in the shooting guard rankings, then they're not going to be a point guard. Uh, You know, I think a lot of it to me comes down to who you have to guard. Some of these players are not going to be guys who necessarily are, are playing on the ball, especially as you get into some of the backups, but they just need to guard the opposing point guard. And so that's where they get shoehorned in. But generally, you're looking at players who can run a pick and roll, bring the ball up the court, have pretty decent passing vision. If you can play other positions, if you can guard other positions, that obviously is going to help you also just a note if you didn't listen to our power forward rankings ben simmons was listed as a power forward uh, there due to his size and who he would normally be guarding what position he would be playing on most nba teams obviously the sixers he plays point guard and Harden is a
1: shooting guard so he is not here as well
0: yes yeah Harden uh, was a shooting guard so anything else to say or should we get right to it
1: one thing i'll say at the beginning is at so at different positions there are different priorities and at point guard, it is offense first, not only because if you're the smallest guy on the floor, that's something you broadly speaking have to do, but also because defense is less important. So now I I consider defense here more of a value add on the margins rather than when we, the last podcast we did was center rankings where that mattered a lot more. So even if you had, let's say the same, let's call it offensive RPM and defensive RPM, even though that's not rankings, that would mean something very different at the center position than at, at point guard. Even if you could have like Nikola Jokic, a center who can run your offense and there is intense value to that having a defensively limited center is very different from a defensively limited point guard and then also an offensively limited point guard as well
0: yeah there's a lot of flux in these rankings below the top 10 Uh, basically other than john wall who of course uh, tore his achilles he was i think number six for me last year and uh, had that surgery even before that and is projected to miss at a minimum, at least half of next season, right now, it, we're still going to try and rank him for where we think he would be projecting forward if healthy. At least uh, that was my approach. That's what we did with DeMarcus. Yeah, for, for, for me, it's year. like
1: when recovered from this injury, as he will recover.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, although you know, so we're not ranking Wall as if we're okay. We're only getting a half season him. Certainly, you'd have to price in the possibility of future injuries and rust and stuff when he does in fact uh, make his official return. But there's a lot of flux really below the top ten. Actually, I, nobody fell out of my top ten who was in there last year. Uh, other than Wall, you know, my all the guys in my top ten this year were in my top eleven last year. Although there is some significant movement within that group, but then really both. Below that level is where some of the stalwarts that we've had as solid starting point guards who are being paid like it really have had some difficult seasons and have dropped down. And we've got a younger group of guys popping up to take their place. So let's start with tier one. I'm guessing you are in the same boat as me based on what our top 10 players in the NBA rankings looked like. I got Steph Curry alone in his own tier as the number one point guard in the NBA.
1: No arguments here. I didn't even do any stats listings or anything for Steph cuz I didn't think we needed it. Went through this pretty well in the Top 10 Players podcast. He is the best offensive guy that fits that fits the description. You know, we don't have to get into the arguments with him and Harden because Harden is ineligible. We we did him at a different position. So, Curry is per possession and just overall and it's not like a lot of the other great like the next tier down for me of offensive point guards are so good defensively that that would really bridge the gap so he he, to me this was a was a a clear choice to have him separate from my next tier down who are all very good players but not you know unambiguously top five or really even unambiguously top 10 though i had both of them in my top 10
0: yeah the one thing i can add to is Dame Lillard and Kyrie Irving might be better ISO players than Steph Curry offensively, and maybe there's an argument that, uh, although we haven't seen Steph Curry run nearly as much pick and roll, and really, pick and roll is more important for a point guard that, than ISO, and... You might say Dame is a little better in the pick and roll than Steph, uh, although Steph, you just have to get out on him so far. We haven't seen Steph really in the last year before Steve Kerr. He was averaging a a lot of assists, and then we've seen that he hasn't had the ball in his hands. He's been more of a play finisher operating off the ball, although certainly very deadly with the ball in his hands as well. Uh, But Steph, even if you want to say his offense is similar to Irving and Lillard, which I think it's not, it's far above that. You know, Steph is shooting almost 44% for three-point range. Irving is about 40%, but not the same type of volume. And Dame Lillard is at 37%, still not quite the same type of volume uh, as well, though both those guys are pretty high-volume three-point shooters. Steph, to me, is better on defense. He's better on on the boards. He's certainly better as a leader than Irving. Lillard, you know, is supposed to be one of the best teammates in the NBA. Irving uh, has come under fire for his locker antics this year. So I, I think it's it's very clear that Steph is both better offensively and defensively than those guys are.
1: So I think that means we can get into tier two. We've already kind of foreshadowed this with what we've said, but for me, the only two other guys that not only made my top 10, but were in serious consideration for it, Kyrie Irving and Damian Lillard, this is a great example of the tier system. I ended up putting, just like I did in top 10 players, putting Kyrie over Damian Lillard, even though I think Lillard is a superior regular season guy. Just Irving's ability. And and proven ability to get his own shot, to beat elite defenses. That's a marginal a marginal improvement for me there and I would have no problem whatsoever with with somebody saying I would rather have Lillard for a season and playoffs that come there especially with the durability element but also just I mean it's it's, saying that Damian Lillard is a better player than Kyrie Irving is is a reasonable statement
0: yeah especially I mean if you look at the talent that Lillard has had around him this season versus the talent that Irving has had around him and you look at the offensive performances of, of both teams and how many games they've won now the Celtics who's a bit unlucky this season in terms of their point differential but portland is looking like they're going to finish with a better record than boston which is pretty remarkable when you consider the surrounding talent and some of that is that talent itself underperforming but some of it also has to go on Irving and and lillard obviously has been more durable but you mentioned the superior playoff performance for irving we haven't seen him in a boston uniform in the playoffs yet and this is one where again i think it's splitting hairs between those two guys i had irving as number two lillard as number three as well but i think that could very easily change based on what happens in the playoffs so now it get into you know and i think irving those are like superstars stephen curry is like an mvp level of guy if you want to label these tiers tier three to me is guys who are all-star level type players and I had five people actually in this tier and I think you could make reasonable arguments for any of them to be at the top but starting out this tier I actually had Drew Holiday at uh the as my number four point guard in the NBA but close on his heels Chris Paul, Mike Conley, Russell Westbrook, and Kemba Walker.
1: I drew the lines a little bit differently, but it was again, this was a close difference between the tiers. Like, there's more for me between tier two and tier three than three and four. But so I'll just lay out both, since it seems like it's almost the same guys. So I had Kemba and Drew Holiday a little, like a, a little bit of a difference above the other guys. Conley, Chris Paul, and then I had in. So you had Westbrook as well. Then I yeah. added in uh, Eric Bledsoe and Kyle Lowry. There, they were on the edge of that next group, but it's it seems like it's pretty similar but let's start with drew i think he might be one that surprises people to have him this high you have him at four i have him at five i think that he is an underrated offensive player it can be hard to parse sometimes because he gets to play with one of the best offensive big men in the league you know he gets a lot of his minutes with anthony davis but drew has been a capable been a, like a good creator in his own right he's an effective scorer true shooting percentage of 56 percent this year on 25 percent usage assist rates plenty good and he's to me, the best defensive point guard in the NBA, night in, night out. And there are other guys with crazy high defensive ceilings. We've seen Eric Bledsoe do it. And if you want to draw the positional lines differently, there are other guys you can throw in this conversation. But that is a real value add. And something that I, I, I was thinking about when putting this together is Drew Holiday would in some ways be an even more... It wouldn't be a more valuable defender to his team, but he could be more destructive if the Pelicans didn't have to do things like putting him on Kevin Durant when they play the Warriors because oh, they yeah. don't have anybody who can defend threes. I mean, we saw that when they played... Portland and it was a team system but Drew was an integral part in stifling Damian Lillard in that sweep in the first round last year
0: yeah now I certainly would understand arguments for why just about anybody in this tier could be at the top that's what the tier is kind of supposed to be the the idea that you have a reasonable argument for any of these guys to be higher than the other that's what makes up the tier i have bledsoe and lowry in their own tier just a little bit below these guys uh lowry just not able to create as much with the ball as uh, these other guys bledsoe not really either Uh, bledsoe has reached a new level this year he's not really that good of a three-point shooter defensively he's really good when he's on ball a little bit spacey when he's off ball uh you know he's uh, again has been in this perfect system with milwaukee to look really good hasn't been at this level before and at age 29 i'm a little more skeptical of whether he could keep it up Certainly the impact metrics for him are very good, but I think that's a lot of that is being on such a good team, such a good coach, such a good system. And and Lowry is just, he would have been right in there in previous years. But when you throw in uh, his waning availability, some of the health issues that he's had, uh, and just his inability to really be the main pick and roll engine any longer, you know, he's still a really valuable player. I like what he can do defensively as a switch guy. I'm hoping to see more of that from Toronto in the playoffs valuable shooter takes deep threes but just not the same force that he was a couple of years ago so that's why i had him a little bit lower Yeah, you he know, he's a winning player but he's also just not qu- and does a lot of things that don't necessarily show up the impact ventures have always loved him in the regular season he's generally has not played as well in the playoffs that's another little ding for him Um, I think you're overrating Kemba a little bit though I I mean if you really look at what the stats are this year he's now a little bit below the league average in true shooting 35% from three had an extremely hot first month or so when he was averaging like 28 a game on really good efficiency and whether it was that sprained ankle whether he's just over his head uh, defensively I think he tries but he's really small so I I had him kind of look towards the bottom of this group you know we haven't had a chance to see much of him in the playoffs and we won't again this year but he's had a few games where he kind of disappears lately and i just whether he's getting worn down whether he's over his head i don't think that both his established level performance uh before this year and then throw that in with really his overall stat line this season aren't quite on the level of some of these other guys. I mean, I don't really think there's much of a statistical argument for Kemba over, say, Mike Conley at this point.
1: I do, in that there's a, a meaningful difference so far this year in terms of how their teams have played offensively when they've been on the floor. And while Mike Conley has worse surrounding talent right now, so using cleaning the glasses filter, taking out garbage time, Charlotte, 113 offensive rating when when Kemba's on the floor, Memphis, one oh seven six. Like, that's a pretty significant thing. And yes, I would say Charlotte's talent, you know, their other starters are better than Memphis's other starters. But Kemba has to do a lot, you know, only 20% of his twos are assisted and 45% of his threes. That's more in kind of the, what, well, actually Westbrook's threes are more assisted than that now. But he's more in kind of that range. So he has to do a lot. There, There are spacing issues with certain configurations, depending on who they're playing where. And... I think that with that load on his shoulders, and also Kemba, yeah, he's league average true shooting this year, but he's been 37% or above as a three-point shooter in previous years, and he's at 35 this year. I think that's a little bit of, you know, I I think he's more of a a high 30s guy than a mid-30s guy, and so that bumps it up a little bit. So for me, the reason I had him up here is Conley, if you remember when when we did this last year, we weren't sure physically you know how he was going to respond after after the achilles and or actually maybe that was before the injury i'm trying to remember because no we, we
0: did this we did it last just like we're doing it this year it was pretty it was in march so oh
1: that's it, right we, was, did already, we did centers early yeah. we did point guards late that's right okay yeah. so so there were worries about about how he's going to recover he's had a better year conley has nice expected but for me i just trust I trust Kemba more, and defensively, at this point, you know, I, I think they're they're not too too different to me as as defensive players between those two guys. The one that was the hardest for me to remove from this group was Chris Paul. But what something that was really surprising to me with Chris Paul when going through it because I, I was, I mean, my love of, of his game has been acknowledged for a long, long time on this podcast. I had, him, I think, fifth best player a couple of years ago, and that surprised a lot of people. Is I really wanted to give Paul the benefit of the doubt when I was, I was like, Oh, let me look at how he's doing. You know, he's a guy that I have an agenda for. So I'm like, Oh, let's see. Maybe if his post all-star numbers are so much better, I can kind of write off the, the thing as a slump. His post all-star break numbers are basically the same as what he did before, you know, in terms of efficiency, in terms of volume, all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, it's true that his rebound happened before the break. So some of that was priced into those numbers. It, I, I think while there's a chance that he's a better player than he has been overall this year, I'm not going to to price that in as much anymore because when you're in your mid 30s, you kind of you, you kind of have the weight the, the regression the progression to the mean is pulling one direction, but age related regression is pulling the other way.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. That's where it's always, I mean, we're kind of in the same place with LeBron at this point. And Paul and LeBron have been two of the more ageless guys that we've seen up until this year. Um, I still have Chris Paul at number five. I think that defensively, he's the best of this group still, uh, other than Drew Holiday.
1: And, uh, and you, so you would rather have Chris Paul than Bledsoe defensively? Who, oh yeah, that's the, right. You don't have him in this tier, so that's different.
0: No, no, I don't. But uh, uh,
1: but you can still answer the question. Well, well you so do
0: you, do you have Paul below? What do you have Paul ranked?
1: I have him 7th. So I have okay. him below. I have him below Kemba Holiday, Conley, and then I have Chris Paul.
0: Okay. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Like Paul can't get to the room anymore. He still has that great passing vision. See where his three-pointer is at. Uh I really want to see what type of playoffs he has. He does have a history of really turning it up in the playoffs uh, compared to the regular season. and maybe he's saving himself. A, we'll have to see how he plays. I mean, you're I am giving him some credit here for past performance still. Um Russell Westbrook at number seven I think you know shouldn't be a surprise to people who have listened to us all year you know I did not have him on an all-nba team uh, did not have him really seriously considered for the top 15 he's just been too damaging this year in terms of using possessions inefficiently but he has started to play a little bit better he's another one of these guys where all right he was shooting it just so terribly at the start of the year that you wondered like all right this has to get better and it has to some degree but he's also looking again at, at Adrian regression at least he doesn't miss games generally you know he's got that going for him good rebounder excellent transition though hasn't been the same level of force to me in transition that he has been in, in past years and just takes a lot of bad shots and shoots his team out of it and then defensively much was made of him being better but to be honest you know i i haven't seen a huge change and he's also getting older so i'm uh he still is difficult to post up, but he still doesn't have the same effort level there either at times. A lot of times he doesn't get back on defense after missing layups or, and the he's good for one foul per game when he thinks he gets fouled and he wasn't. And then, you know, he gets his team to the bonus. Uh, so, a lot of the things that don't look great for him the impact metrics are still largely positive for him but you know well below where they have been uh, this year westbrook is sixth among point guards in pipm right in the exact same range as conley uh, and chris paul they're, they're all right about the exact same level um and rpm uh, he has definitely fallen off uh, He is number he's
1: he's 11 in rpm among point guards but 10th among guys that are eligible for our list
0: okay yeah yeah that's what i was counting up because i they've listed harden as a point guard
1: oh sorry he's ninth that's right i missed i missed the guy number one is is also not a point guard for this
0: yeah so uh you know, and that's really when you look at the efficiency he's at just got up to 50% true shooting now it's 5% worse than the league average 29% from 3 which is actually better than it has been 66% from the foul line which is so weird he used to be a money free throw shooter up until last year I think he's 80% or over nearly every year of his career before that
1: well and so to add on to that I looked this up he's taking 7.2 three pointers per 100 possessions that's a lot for a guy who's making below 30 percent he's at 31 on jump shots overall and 37 on long twos so just the jump shot as of this moment you know if we're looking at the whole season and you could say he's turning it around a little bit better that his jump shot is pretty broken but he's still taking a ton of them Westbrook is and, and so there are a couple of parallels for me with Harden, but I think this is instructive for for why why and how Harden is so amazing. Westbrook is one of the most important parts of any team's offense. Thirty one usage, forty five five assist percentage is leading the league for the third consecutive season. So his MVP year last year and then this year, but. He is a more important part, but he isn't as good an offensive player and their offense isn't nearly as good. And then this year, I think there's some noise in it, but the Thunder offense, when he has been on the floor and Paul George has not, has been awful. It's it's not sugarcoating it. Their are 104 offensive rating when he in over 1200 possessions when he plays without Paul George. That's 12th percentile in the entire league. It was much better. It was, you know, 66 percentile last year. That's, you know, you, you, can, you can obviously roll with that. And I think that they can be better than than that, but how much better is is a real concern. And I mean, if somebody is not the best offensive player on his team and is taking the shots that he is, like he is the best player in the team, it's going to hurt them if you're below average efficiency.
0: Yeah. And you also just wonder with his athleticism starting to wane, I mean, he has not gotten to the basket. I mean, some of these games that he's had, and maybe those are games where he wasn't feeling well or whatever, but he's had games where, you know, he takes 50. 15 jump shots and two shots at the rim and goes like four out of 17 Yeah, you know, he's not able to make up for the fact that he's shooting it poorly with that pure force part of that is because teams are backing off and more he's a really damaging off ball player at this point in time teams just do not guard him off the ball at all in the half court so This, I mean, I'll put it this way. I'm concerned that I might have him too high more than that I'm concerned I might have him too
1: low. And he is actually the reason why I ended up with and Lowry in this tier is that I couldn't make, maybe what I should have done is split all three of those guys down. That might have been the way to do this, but I because I was sitting there with Bledsoe. Now, yeah, Bledsoe is a less he's a less dynamic offensive player than Russ at his best. But a Bledsoe is a significantly better defender at this point. And Westbrook, like Harden, he has these highlight moments, and I think that obscures all of the low light moments that become a problem. And so, for more casual people, or for those who are looking for positives to try to make that argument, you have those highlight plays. Same with LeBron last year. I think that was another example of this. Of like, oh, look, he still makes those makes some changes down blocks or that time he blocked Giannis at the rim but it obscures just the possessions where he like makes one swipe and then just gives up an easy layup like those sorts of plays and they have a lot of players who can clean up his messes on this Oklahoma City team which has a lot of really good defenders on it and Bledsoe you know he's a a lower usage guy but if you're lower usage and can then cede those possessions to somebody who is granted not everybody's going to have what Milwaukee does but there are a lot of good offensive players in the league right now I think overall that's creating. A a better circumstance and the value added russell westbrook is a materially better passer than eric Bledsoe. the difference there to me is matters but it doesn't matter as much as the fact that you could just bait russell westbrook or just he maybe he's just having that night where he's not feeling it and as you said like a, f- a four of 17 where 14 of those are jump shots
0: All right, we got to get to what I think will be the most fluid and controversial section of this list. But first, I need to tell you about my friends at Indochino, the world's most exciting made to measure menswear company. That's what uh, the copy says. I think that they are exciting because finally, it's accessible for you to get something that fits you when it comes to a suit that is made for you, for your body specifically, especially if you do not have average dimensions. I would certainly put myself in that category. And if you're going to spend all this money on a suit, I mean, I I experienced this where anytime I got a suit, I just felt it didn't fit right. It was too tight in the shoulders. It was too big in the chest. They claim they could tailor it, but they're starting off with these pants that are like 40 waist and I'm a 34. And so you're never really going to be able to get the perfect fit with the pants there either. And those are the pants that come with the jacket. And so, you know, when I first started, I was going to like, you know, pretty much discount menswear companies in law school getting suits for interviews then once I was a lawyer I was like all right well I know what the problem is I'm just not spending enough money I need to just uh, spend more money to get better suits that's that'll be the solution and so I did that and they still didn't fit me it still really was not the way it needed to be even after I'm spending over a thousand dollars and then I found was like, all right, I'm going to go enough of this. I'm going to spend $1,500 and I'm going to get a suit that actually fits me uh, is made to measure. That's what it used to cost. Then I found out about Indochino and things really changed for me. Their made to measure suits are available with our offer code CapSpace for just $359 at Indochino.com 50% off the price for a made to measure premium suit. Shipping is free. You can either go into one of their showrooms. I think they've got 12 of them last time I I checked in a lot of the main NBA markets. You can also measure yourself at home. They have a tutorial how to do that on Indochino.com. And you can customize everything too. Fabric, design customizations, monograms, size of the lapels. Only takes a couple of weeks too, to get your suit professionally tailored and mailed to you so really that's no longer than if you had to get it tailored at the department store. Once again, indochino.com promo code capspace. Don't forget that capspace code to let them know that you came from us. Once you go custom, you don't go back. Okay, I'm really interested to see how it was that you did this now. Uh we've both kind of gotten our top 10 out of the way, although I had one additional tier to do that. I'm on tier 5. You're starting your tier four. So what's up with your uh, next year here?
1: Wait, I think I'm on tier five as well. Anyway, this was... But anyway, this was the hardest part to figure out because some of the players that were in this group before like so for me that includes Goran Dragic who just he's had a a rough a rough year due to injuries and also the end of last you know he didn't have a great close to last season so he lost some of the difference his 16-17 was way better than his 17-18 now that's a year and a half ago and so this group ended up being overwhelmingly it's a my and mine is four guys players that were not even in serious consideration for the top 20 last year so it's big risers but players that have established themselves in various forms as being really important to their team's success, even though most of their success as a team has been modest. And I'll just go through all four of them. There will be anger with some that are included. There will be anger with some that are not included, but uh. I, I, I don't care. This group for me is De'Aaron Fox, Jamal Murray, Spencer Dinwiddie, and Trey Young
0: well that's very interesting uh and we do not talk to each other about these rankings beforehand my 11 through 13 is the exact same as yours De'Aaron Fox Jamal Murray in Fox, the same didn't. order yeah in the same order. I
1: spent so much time agonizing about this this is hilarious that yeah. that's the way this happened I,
0: mean, I, I will say I stop really stressing about the order within the tier after the top 10 or so, so this is the last one where I stressed it. about the order yeah now this is funny because so I, I thought of this tier five as guys who are you know above average uh spencer dinwiddie i'm sure many will be very surprised to hear him above d'angelo russell i did put d'angelo russell in this tier at number 14 but below dinwiddie and they're really other than the fact that russell starts there really is not any kind of a statistical argument that you can oh make i
1: i, I want to have an for... extended d'angelo russell conversation but i think we should talk about the other guys first just because okay. we have them above I well think fo-
0: it's a- fox maybe a, a part of this is that we're looking forward here i have a little bit of concern that he might be getting slightly overrated that maybe his shooting is not quite as good uh i do think that what he does for the transition game i mean he's a top 2 or 3 transition point guard in the nba would be up there i think with Steph and Westbrook and those are really I can't think of anyone else really who would be up there um so he might even be close to number one um the the way he pushes the ball and how fast he is maybe Trey would be up there too actually um I did move Trey out of here I mean I do think he's a big time positive on offense at this point in time the reason I didn't have him in this tier is just that it is Hard for me to make the argument necessarily that he's better than D'Angelo Russell right now. Uh, Russell, more assists per 36 minutes, better three-point percentage. Trey does get to the foul line more. He gets to the rim a, a little bit more. But as bad as Russell's defense is, and I think it's horrendous still, I mean, he's gotten some pub for improving it. I haven't seen, I mean, he was starting from such a low baseline, I guess we'll say that even having a little bit more effort it doesn't do much for you. Um, but Trey is like just so much worse. I mean, it just generally, Yeah, I
1: mean, he's one of the worst defensive players in the league, if not the worst.
0: Yeah. So uh, in terms of high minute guys, um, yeah. a- and just the general principle that rookies just aren't good and don't help you win. I mean, he's fighting against that. And...
1: Well, do, do you want my argument? Cause I, it, I, once I thought of this, I just smiled partially again, this was, you know, I kind of wanted to think of one and what, what it was for me was the structure of the criteria. And it was, remember we're starting this season now, I think Trey Young is a way better player right now than where he started the season. Also has more appropriate surrounding talent, which has helped in terms of evaluating him properly. And I, you know, so one of the rationales I put for having De'Aaron Fox at the top of this group was the value of being a tone setter. And I think that De'Aaron Fox is an incredibly useful tone setter for Sacramento. He helps give them a lot of their offensive identity and also part of their, part of their defensive identity. I'm still surprised. And Jaeger, obviously a lot of guys get credit for that in terms of them being better defensively than I anticipated. And I much prefer Trey Young as a tone setter because I think he is a better passer. I think he is a more willing passer. And because when I watch the Hawks, And some of this is because Russell has a way better backup than Trey Young does, especially now that Jeremy Lin is is elsewhere. But the Hawks look like a completely different team in a good way when Trey Young is on the floor. And some of that is, you know, cross-related factors, like having guys like John Collins out there, and especially now that he plays a lot with Kevin Herter, who helps their spacing and all of these other things, and and Deadman oftentimes when he's available. With the Nets... Not only is it the effectiveness part of this, and I want to talk about that too, but the feel of the team. Like when I watch the Dinwiddie-led Nets, to me that looks more like an NBA offense, more like a sustainably successful team than when D'Angelo Russell does it. And the numbers absolutely bear that out.
0: Well, it's I think if you could guarantee me that the other team is going to play conventional pick-and-roll defense and they have a slow center and they're going to play drop coverage, I might prefer Russell. He gets up more three-point attempts. Shoots in a little higher percentage than Dinwiddie. Uh, obviously doesn't get to the rim at all. I think, I think he's, Dinwiddie is an underrated passer, but... The statistics haven't borne that out as much. Dinwiddie also has played off the ball, and a lot of times they go to him when the other team is switching. He's playing with the, some of the backups, so the Nets have a, a good backup unit. So I don't think that hurts him as much.
1: I, I think um, in many ways it actually helps him because yeah. he gets to play against inferior competition. Like that was something one of the thought experiments I dealt with. This was if the only change you made with the Brooklyn Nets was swapping their minutes, how different would they look? I think it would help Russell a lot because he's be playing against worse defensive lineups. Yeah.
0: Well, Dinwiddie is. clear closing games
1: yeah and that, and that and that's kind so. of where i ended up going with dinwiddie over him there
0: um but well, well so, so russell i mean i think he's the superior passer sure. um he can't do anything against us which i mean and if we want to throw trey young into this discussion too and i, I think there is an argument that trey is better than than russell right now um russell also has some health concerns which he's stayed healthy this year but you know in previous years he's had he had a knee surgery he's had some knee issues he's slow you know i think he's he's he can shoot the three but he's not a fast enough in transitioning, doesn't push the ball um so do i want to say you know and i think trey young is uh, both russell and young have been playing a lot better over the last two or three months you know i both for Russell and for young and for Colin Sexton, who this is going to come up for too. I can't completely discount their first couple months of the season. Um, you know, and just say, Oh, even though we're starting the season right now, that means they're likely to just continue playing at the level that they have. Um, now Russell, we'll see, he's going to be in the playoffs. So is Dinwiddie, those guys can really boost their, uh, ranking here. If they play well, you know, a lot of these guys haven't sniffed the playoffs. None of these guys have been in the playoffs actually, uh, that we're talking about here. You could throw Murray and Fox in there also. Um, so yeah I, I, it's definitely splitting hairs maybe i should have had young in there especially if we're looking forward uh but i think i ultimately was just like all right he's a rookie point guard and yeah he's putting up numbers and he's really helping the hawks offense and i do think that he's special but when you just look at some of the execution stuff also young's turnovers oh yeah are very concerning absolutely um, yeah you know, again he's toned that down some as we've gone on here and he's he's been a big positive effect but i just i couldn't quite go there with a rookie versus some of these guys who are a little bit more established even if they haven't been in the playoffs either uh but i totally understand why you could have young uh, above russell
1: couple yeah. things on d'angelo russell why i did why I did. first of all i think his three-point shooting is real he's taking a ton of them 36% is in line with what he's done before. The mechanics of his shot look great, and I have I have no opposition to it. If he, I wouldn't be surprised if he does something similar to this moving forward over the next couple of years. Maybe he'll even improve over time, as many guys have. You take that, and you, you consider that, and it is important to acknowledge, and he's capable as a, you know, he's a, a good pick-and-roll operator, especially when the other team isn't switching. 67th percentile there as a scorer, and 65th, I think, overall, including passes, middle-of-the-road in isolations. So you take all of that, there's some real positives with him. D'Angelo Russell has a 32 usage rate and 53% true shooting. Despite those threes and the reason why is because he never gets to the free throw line and he never gets to the basket And when you think about not only is he shooting that percentage of threes from volume He's also shooting 53 percent from 10 to 16 feet a rate that you wouldn't expect from basically anybody You know, that's really really good and it's way higher than his previous numbers or anything like that So even if he tones down to like 49 percent, which is still insanely good That's a pretty big drop-off when you take a bunch of mid-rangers like he does so this is and some of
0: what he's doing could be built on unsustainable mid-range shooting
1: right and so when you look at a player who is at the high water marks in a lot of these different areas shooting more threes than he ever has making a high proportion of them as he has in previous years and then the other parts of it are not anomalies him never getting to the line never getting the basket those those are not new things and he's still below average as an efficiency so you go oh well but he's a really good passer not only this, so this year, and this is why it's good because of the offensive explosion to look at percentiles rather than overall totals because the league's offense has changed a lot. This year, the Nets are 41st percentile in offense when D'Angelo is on the floor. That includes minutes with Dinwiddie and everything else. You're like, oh, 41, 41st percentile, you know, below average, not that, not terrible, but, but not great. That is basically tied with his second year with the Lakers as the best any of his teams has ever done offensively with Russell on the floor. And, and some of this is because he's been playing over his head as a starter when he wasn't good enough to be. And so that makes the, you know, like as a Laker, so this makes it a little bit unfair, but I want to note this. Every single team D'Angelo Russell has played on has had a better offense when he's been off the floor than when he's been on. That's just kind of, it's not definitive. I'm not saying that makes him bad. I have him number 15, but it's a warning sign basically saying, maybe we should be accounting for some of this. And so his counting stats are ridiculous. But the other part of that is people who are the le- level of effectiveness that D'Angelo Russell is don't take this many shots very often. So yeah, he's scoring 21 points a game, but guys who are who have 53 true shooting don't get to shoot this many shots per game. I went back and looked at it. There are only seven times over the last five years that a player with over 30 usage had this low a true shooting. And there you know, a couple rest Westbrook seasons, Dennis Schroeder last year, those types of things, because the player's... And remember, this is the best he's ever been effective from effectiveness standpoint. They don't get that. So that's why the counting stats are really misleading for him. He's getting the opportunity and he's doing his thing with it, but it's not an opportunity that is presented to many guys. Donovan Mitchell is incidentally possibly going to join this group.
0: So a little more on Dinwiddie because people are like, this guy's never even started before. like what are you talking about? number 13 point guard in the NBA? 58% true shooting that's gone down a little bit, 35% from three, but takes some very difficult attempts. Most of those uh, are off the dribble. So so are Russell's obviously, I mean, but to decouple him from Russell a little bit, Spencer Dinwiddie shoots more free throws per 100 possessions than any point guard in the NBA. free throw attempts per 100 possessions is uh damian lillard is second highest at at 8.9 Mike Conley, incidentally, is third at eight point six, which is incredible for a guy who who never gets to the basket. I mean, the fact that he's able to bullshit out that many free throws uh, and boost his percentages there uh, is pretty good. Now, Dinwiddie twenty five usage, Russell thirty two. You know, that's a, a big difference between those guys. uh You know, he does throw some some good passes, but he also you know is not quite the every down distributor has been accused of being selfish at times i think part of that is due to his role but and the fact that he's most prominently playing at the end of games when teams are switching and they just have to go to him because they don't have anyone else who can do anything and defensively i think he's i'd say he's about average his impact metrics his rpm in particular is awful this year on defense but watching him, I don't really see anything to support that. Last year, he he was wasn't bad, um, and generally has been healthy, other than a thumb injury in his NBA career. He did have that torn ACL in college, but that's quite a, in the rearview mirror. We haven't discussed Jamal Murray at all. He's another one who statistically, hey, you know, it's a, it's a little dicey. I mean, he's kind of in that Russell level of efficiency, not the level of distributor th- that Russell is. Uh, you know has this reputation as a shooter but hasn't been taking as many threes uh, this season that hasn't been going in for him uh, quite as much so so murray up to 37 percent for three he he, as usually started terribly so uh, that's a a less of a concern now as the year has gone on um doesn't get to the foul line a a whole heck of a lot either do you think that being with nikola jokic and then also some of these other guys like he'll play a lot with monte morris he'll play a lot with, with barton gary Harris, we get some pick and roll opportunities in the past. Does that hurt our perception of him or help our perception of him?
1: Overall, I think it it probably helps because he just gets to take easier shots. He doesn't have to like if you think about the the stuff that D'Angelo Russell has to do. You know, he has to take a lot more of those kind of challenging late clock things. And and Jokic can he can create more. Also, obviously, Murray also gets the opportunity to to do more off ball cutting and and those kind of actions, which generally produce more efficient shots than something you're doing off the dribble, unless the other. Team Team's defense really sucks. That said, what the part that runs the other way, and part of why this is compelling, is that he also gets less credit for a vat of dramatically more successful offense. And like even when Murray has played without Nikola Jokic, they've been, you know, one eleven offensive rating. That's that's pretty good. It's not amazing and you're not setting the world on fire, but but that's more a, a better example of when he's running the show though as you mentioned there are other guys that can be ball dominant that he plays with so i think it's the answer is probably both but i would say overall just it, it helps him because he gets to take easier shots and that helps and it does hurt his assist percentage but when we think about a player as an offense like that kind of stuff i think doesn't resonate as much as like the eye test of oh man it seems like he's making every shot in existence
0: yeah, I do think that to the extent bad shots at the end of clock need to be taken for Denver, he is the one who does that. You know, they run a lot of stuff where That's true. they try to try to get guys involved, but if it doesn't work, you know, they're going to throw it to him when he's in the game. I think he actually has really improved his iso game. Uh, you know, I I do think he could be a, on another team. I'd be interested to see, you know, if his efficiency really cratered. Uh, I'm not sure how much he benefits from playing with Jokic uh I mean he'll do some of that DHO stuff and he'll get dimed up every once in a while but I do think his main role on this team is to create shots off the dribble he doesn't hasn't gotten as many reps in pick and roll this is a Denver team that actually doesn't have that much spacing in in its starting unit you know especially with the way some of their support players have shot the ball this year um so I would like to see if him get more opportunities as a spread pick and roll type of operator and so i think he could actually look better on another team that needed him to do more but you know do i i wish that in the slightly smaller role he's at 25 percent usage so i do wish he could be a little bit more efficient either shooting the three a little bit better getting to the foul line a lot more you know I, I think that's maybe if he had the ball in his hands more he might learn the tricks a little bit more but you know these are you, know, you could make these kind of arguments and excuses for a lot of players you know so perhaps he, he's a player that i've liked maybe we're overrating him a, a little bit due to his skill level and the aesthetics of his game um But he's also, you know, he's been a high usage player on a team that's done real well you know and there's really if you're gonna look at the guys below him you know who falls into that category really you, you know i mean it does part of the reason he's this high is that it gets to be a weaker group uh here as you get into the teams you know perhaps than it's been in the past you know, you don't have guys like Dragic and teague you know these guys who are long you know george hill when he was going well a couple of years ago guys who are long time established starters who are solid pick and roll operators like you don't really have that uh, guys who've been in the playoffs i mean, okay you don't have that group really anymore the way you used to
1: no and the and the young guys that have made their rise it's a little bit different and then there there isn't necessarily a next group behind him there probably will be we'll see what guys like colin sexton do how weird is it that the kind of the guy who I have the least question marks about in this group is the guy who is a second year player who was just awful by a lot of measures last year De'Aaron fox
0: by every measure <laughs> yeah i mean he last was an year.
1: rpm just just sieve last year and Another thing why jaren Fox is at the top of this tier for me is that I think he's the best defensive player of this group by a, a pretty decent margin, and I think he'll get better with time. Dinwiddie's probably the next closest. You know, Dinwiddie has size and he's he's done a pretty good job. And then Russell and Murray are, are clear negatives, and then Trey Young is abysmal. So that's a it's an advantage for. I, I for wouldn't Fox.
0: put Murray and, and Russell in the same category. I think Murray is way better defensively than Russell.
1: Okay, I, I'm i not. I, I, I didn't, especially
0: like like yeah, like that's true. I I posting I, up like at I was def- level getting over screens like. I, I mean, Murray is limited, but I, I don't put him anywhere close to as bad as Russell.
1: I'm not going to fight that too hard. Yeah, I, I, and with and with Russell, I just want to see it. We'll get a better sense of that in the playoffs. We're probably going to face a good, a really good offensive point guard in, in the first round, so we'll, we'll get a good sense of that. But I think we can. We so I ended up just for the sake of bookkeeping. Our discussion. I'm realizing how close it is between Dinwiddie, Trey, and Russell. I moved Russell back into this tier. I had him there originally. I shouldn't have. I was just angry and moved him down. I shouldn't have done that. So he's he's <laughs> he's 15. He's in this tier, and we can. So I, I think we've talked about those guys enough to get into the next group that I had. What I the the label that I put on them was solid but unspectacular starters, and that's players who are, you know, you're not, you're not going to say, oh, that guy, you know, maybe some of them you could say would be better as a backup, just because almost everybody would be. But if you have them on your team, they're going to start. And But you're probably looking for an upgrade if you want to be a really, really competitive team. Yeah. And my, it's it's six guys, all of whom are veterans, you know, been in the league for a while. Ricky Rubio, Goran Dragic, Darren Collison, Jeff Teague, Patrick Beverly, and a prominent riser among the veteran group, DJ Augustine
0: yeah this it started to get hard to really classify at this point in time because there's a group of four guys that i actually had in a lower tier i had trey young at number 15 he didn't really fit in in theory with the other three guys in this next year for me this is my 15 through 18 beverly fred van vliet uh, who i realize has not been starting but you know i think he's really good defensively he can run so pick and roll he can pass he can shoot threes i mean his, his big weakness is just that he can't get by anyone one-on-one and can't finish at the rim so he's unspectacular in that way but you know i think he's a guy who could be a really good support piece next to a team that has say Kawhi leonard you know or uh you know another ball dominant guy like derozan last year you know those guys have value i mean you're you're we're now getting into the portion here where you've got this group of guys who can run pick and roll but not as effectively and run the offense not as effectively as the guys above them but can still do that and can still create shots and that has value especially on some of the lesser teams in the league or you've got the guys who are, can shoot the ball maybe can defend have got some two-way ability but also are not really if they're the guy that's really the main engine of your offense you're not going to be any good you know so how you balance between those two types of guys you know i think the guys who are a little bit more off-ball players or uh, shooters defenders those guys work better on winning teams but you throw them on a losing team and you wouldn't win as many games as if you had some of these other guys so i had that group uh, of beverly van vliet and rubio above this other group of guys that i labeled can they stay healthy and i had goran dragas jeff teague derrick rose and john wall in that group where any of those guys yes even rose uh although you know his health is a major concern even this season uh those guys would probably be better than that group of guys above them but when you throw in the the health concerns the decreased performance age there's just too many question marks to have them above these steadier guys in my opinion
1: that's fine i i just i kind of priced that in a little bit yeah. and maybe so I'm little... i
0: understand why you're you're, you're splitting arrows I, I guess van vliet maybe it's something we should talk about yeah like so i have a i have a, i have
1: a sub tier i think which is kind of going to bridge the gap between these where I, I called it yeah i guess where it's like guys that are starters but i'm just less enthusiastic about it and that group kind of covers some of the other guys that you mentioned so for me that's fred van vliet derrick rose not in order reggie jackson and DeJounte Murray. I think DeJounte Murray would have played his way above this if he had been healthy, but yeah. he didn't. So he did. And that that's kind of for me, that's more extrapolating DeJounte Murray in in 1617. Sorry, 1718 to this theoretical season that was going to start. Like I, I could imagine him being a lot better. We saw his jump shot improving in, in preseason. So there, there are definitely some encouraging signs there. But yeah, that group of guys that are they're talented, and to me, those guys are better than the next group down that I had was I called it solid backups. eh, starters and usually that was guys that are flawed enough on one end of the floor oftentimes for me those were guys that were better defenders than offensive players were there are teams that just can't start them like Corey Joseph is a great example here I love Corey Joseph I love his defense but there's a whole subset there's a whole set of teams in this league that can't start him because he can't create enough reliable offense now there are other ones where he's a wonderful fit you talked about this with Fred Van Vliet incidentally you know those two guys have have played on the same team and all that other stuff. I have a lot of former Spurs in these categories as well. So yeah, that we drew the lines differently, but I think the thought process is pretty similar
0: yeah i had van vliet above joseph because of his shooting ability you know there's a little bit more plug and play adaptability there um i also had a group that was next year i did have dj august in this he doesn't really fit with the other guys as kind of young guys who if we take the next step that we project for them you know could move into the solid starter category and that is Derek white to John T. Murray coming back from the ACL, although important not to overrate where he was. I think he was, you know, was not shooting the three at all last year. There was hope that he was going to improve, but then it, it, he tore the ACL, obviously, uh, the two point jumper was coming along a little bit, but like when I saw him last year, he wasn't even really working on the three pointer. Uh, so he's got a long way to go in terms of his uh, adaptability to other systems, but it's looking like a defensive monster and, and has a lot of athleticism. But and it's young enough with the torn ACL that I don't expect that to materially affect his future, other than just that you know he lost to Europe development time. And Lonzo Ball is in there, and while he stayed largely healthy in his career, unlike some of these other guys, uh, Derek White being in there too, who's had some issues with his foot, Terry just because of some of his performance declines this year, I had in this group too. I'm not ready to declare him as a solid starter he's kind of right on the borderline for me but he, he is someone who has some of that plug and play adaptability as well he's not a good passer he's not a good finisher but he can shoot the ball and he also is a very solid defender and athlete
1: okay so how how i divvied it up was a little bit different for me it was more thinking about minutes i thought about more in terms of minutes per game so it was guys that my next group was players who you're probably more comfortable giving them between let's say 15 to 25 but if you have to scale them up you wouldn't be super thrilled about it but you probably could and it's a a bigger group it was my 26 to 39 guys but I'll rattle through them pretty quickly we'll talk about some of them some of them you've already mentioned but I'll just just so they're all out there Saturansky, Corey Joseph John Wall that I that's my projection on where he'll be after the recovery he could end up being a tier or two higher I'm just not sure yet Lonzo Ball Derek White Patty Mills Monte Morris Ish Smith Landry Shamet. Alfred Payton, Shea gildress Alexander, Chris Dunn, Jeremy lynn and Colin Sexton. A couple of those guys could end up playing their way beyond this pretty quickly. A couple, and I don't think too many guys can play their way out of this group because that's more of a lower end catch all. But just guys that you know, I, I think that's a pretty good description. Where you, you're you're totally you're gonna have them in your rotation if they're on your team. No hesitation there. But you probably don't want to give them starter minutes, but you might be forced to.
0: Yeah, I differentiated between what I called solid backups and iffy backups and then i also had a group of guys at the very bottom that i looked at it as guys who would actually probably hurt most teams because they're either so ball dominant or they can't shoot or they bend your whole style or they just kill your defense uh so it might actually be interesting to talk about those guys first so here's what i had in that group Uh, And then we can kind of parse out who we think of as solid backups versus uh, not great backups. Uh, So here are the guys that I looked at as guys who actually are like, are hurting your team if you're most teams. You know, if you're a team with a really bad offense, maybe you just need someone like this. To just create shots so that your offense isn't just totally hopeless and it just runs so I had Colin Sexton there if Sexton continues playing the, the way he's played the last month and a half or so he gets off of this list very quickly but the overall impact metrics and the usage for the entire year are atrocious I mean he's last in all of the impact metrics PIPM RPM a lot of that comes down to defense you know his offense is getting better but he's still in the negative on offense for the whole year
1: he's also still not distributing
0: yes like, that's he's true. become a that's way true.
1: more effective individual scorer but he's not passing the ball more he's not creating more value that way which is I think for me having him in the solid backup category was a pretty big victory for Sexton over where he started this season
0: yeah so other guys I had in this category Dennis Smith you know another guy who again I mean he just it, actually the some of the impact metrics on his defense have improved this year i'm not really buying that i don't know why they would be so much better especially in some of the situations that he's been in you throw in also uh, the fact that he kind of forced his way out of Dallas his shooting is very iffy a little better than some of the guys on this list at least and you know just hasn't been able to be efficient also has had some health concerns uh Rajon Rondo is on this list for sure one of the worst defensive point guards in the NBA at this point impact metrics have been awful really the last four or five years he had one year that was okay which I think was last year uh he's actually shooting the ball better from three but not enough volume and teams still don't guard him he still dominates the ball he can't finish the rim he never gets to the foul line you know he's not a positive other than just as an assist guy but that's really more you know he's not creating the opening for guys he's kind of standing up top throwing it to guys he's a a great entry passer but you know, overall I mean you just can't other than looking at the assist line in the box score you can't make an argument that he's a, a player who's not hurting you at this point uh, Alfred Payton is kind of like mini Rondo at this point which is ironic that he took Rondo's place on the Pelicans Isaiah Thomas much as it pains me to say is in that category until further notice Emmanuel Moutier and other and these are guys who just you know, are not efficient take a bunch of shots dominate the ball and you know, are just dragging you down uh, Dennis Schroeder also is in that category for me where i mean just seeing you mentioned how bad oklahoma city was without paul george on the floor and russell westbrook there they had to start playing westbrook more apart from george because the shooter led backup units uh, were totally failing you know and again he's a huge usage guy right around 50 percent true shooting has been for most of his career supposedly another guy who got better on defense this year but you know i haven't seen uh, he has taken some charges uh, a bit a little bit more active as a help defender this year but still you know not someone i look at as a huge plus defensively uh, so that's a uh, that group there and I did put Sexton in that category although you know I think he if he continues to play well can get out of that what do you think of, of my characterization of those guys
1: it seems fair there will be a lot of teams that just don't need what those guys can bring and then there'll be others that that really do i mean it's sort of a similar issue to where the point guard starter position drops off is that it is before 30 but it is but there are guys at other positions that can fill a lot of that role i think it's kind of the same with backups so the hope is that there are enough slots for those type of guys but bringing out the fact that they're different that they don't succeed in all circumstances is, is reasonable and i ended up being more negative on those type of guys overall just because their lack of plug-and-play, to me, you know, that, that means, first of all, that means there are fewer teams interested from a minutes perspective, but also from a dollars perspective. And I'll just mention it, my last group, what I called rotation-worthy, really what that was for me is guys that you want to give minutes to. And also, I thought it was a good differentiator for guys that I would give guaranteed money to like there's a group of players below that where it's like maybe it's a question that they're getting into it a lot of that's young players that should get a lot better but really i think it i think it went from like i didn't count it out but it was like 40 to like 52 or something like that and that that's about right in terms of how many capable backup point guards plus starting point guards there are in the league
0: so i wanted to go through my differentiation here and you could just i'll probably give a sentence or two on each of these guys and feel free to stop me if if you're in substantial disagreement so Here's my list of solid backups, and I'll give my list of iffy backups. They're actually going a little deeper uh, on this group uh, than at some positions. Uh, so my solid backups, some guys who have uh, have been starters, but you know, ideally you'd want them as a solid backup. Darren Collison always shoots it well from three, never gets enough volume, just doesn't have a versatile enough jump shot. Not a plus defensively because he, he's too skinny uh, and doesn't really distribute. Uh, Reggie Jackson actually has shot it better from three and is averaging 10 three-point attempts per possessions all of a sudden which is a, a pretty high number to get into double digits there uh but he's atrocious defensively you know they always put him on the worst of the three perimeter guys even when you've got like Wayne Ellington and Luke Kennard and uh, They've nobody else really, and he's still by far the worst of that group. And and his ability to get to the basket, it hasn't been the same since those knee and ankle issues that he's had. It hasn't been as good as a, as a passer, but you know, that that three-point shooting is valuable and he has some size. Monte Morris has exploded on the scene this year. Maybe a little overrated at this point in time due to what he was doing early in the season. Impact metrics are not amazing for him. You know, they've kind of got him pegged around being a, a normal backup point guard type of player. Another one of these guys who shot a good percentage from three but not high volume knows how to run pick and roll absolutely never gets to the foul line absolutely never turns it over and defensively it seems about average or so ish smith team always seems to play better when he's out there than his individual metrics would indicate he has gotten a little bit more of a three-pointer he does push the ball in transition a lot which is helpful for this Detroit team and he does close some games sometimes but I think he's a solid backup that contract has actually worked out a little bit better than I thought it would Jeremy Lee I think we know where he's at you know his three-point shooting has really cooled off since he's become a Raptor uh, Shaz Napier has been third string in Brooklyn, but has filled in just as capably as we thought. Solid shooter, pick and roll guy, undersized on, on defense you know not a starting level of player but it can feel capably as a backup Corey joseph we talked about already and these guys aren't necessarily all in order either uh delon wright we haven't mentioned the three-point shooting both in terms of volume and percentage is rough he's under 30 percent shoots one of the lowest three-point attempt rates among uh, this group of point guards but has really nice size defensively he's a shark in the passing lanes very crafty finisher not a starting level of guy, but again, it's something I you think you'd be happy with as a solid backup. Thomas Satoransky, another one of these guys who shoots it well from three, but not a high percentage. and, but he just knows how to play. He's not a great individual defender, a very good team defender, plays hard, uh, has some size and athleticism, can switch a little bit. Patty Mills, great shooter, but uh, undersized, but a solid point guard option. You know, he, he's kind of waned a little bit on defense as he's gotten older. Jalen Brunson has been a really nice surprise after a terrible summer league. He's got ruggedness, size, can get to the rim to some degree uh, even if he's you know with just strength he's distributed while he's been I, I think a tough guy on defense shot it better than we thought he would so i think he's looking like a a solid backup point guard going forward seth curry's at 40 percent for three not a traditional point guard but i mean when you're shooting it that well on that type of volume you know you're certainly a a capable backup Bryn forbes kind of the same thing is a little better defensively than curry but you know not a pick and roll guy but shoots it really well from three could be a complimentary guy even though he's starting i think even more as a backup and tyler johnson another guy who maybe is above some of the people on this group but just can't shoot it or or, i'm sorry he hasn't been able to stay healthy enough and you know i think defensively he's better he can shoot the three you know he's someone who could maybe fit in the starting role if he could ever stay healthy for long enough um
1: oh what i want to ask you about i don't it might have just been that i missed it did you mention shea he was a hard guy for me to play sometimes
0: yeah i i did not mention him i meant to put him in there i had him in my notes i i would put him in the oh no i do have him in there i have him in the iffy backups category okay. right now which, which you know another thing rookie point guard he's someone who i think could get a lot better but he's just a really really difficult fit right now because while he shot 38 percent from three the volume is extremely low only three per 100 possessions you know that's very low uh, compared to where some of these guys are and you know his pick and roll game he's not going to put a ton of pressure on the rim he's kind of crafty he can get to spots he can shoot in mid-range i think he can be a plus defensively soon although you know I'm, i'm always skeptical of rookies there so uh the impact metrics have him very low you know he's in the 300s in PIPM part of that's because he's played with a starting group for the Clippers that's been pretty limited you know he's playing with Gortat he's not doesn't play as much with Lou Williams he closes some games on occasion uh and certainly a promising player but I think if we're talking about what he actually is right now I don't want to go too crazy about it especially due to the the fact that he's a really tough fit due to his ball dominance not being particularly efficient and not being able to shoot the three when he's off ball
1: I'm trying to think about if there is if there's anybody else that we that we really need to discuss yes yeah, uh, i mean
0: did you have anyone that you felt would be kind of a solid backup that i didn't mention that that you're higher on maybe i mean i've got another group of guys who are kind of like all right you know they're decent as a stopgap backup point well, guard so but one guy, guy that uh,
1: it's it's funny because i brought up shay another guy that i had a challenge with but i had in this group just because he's so damn good as a shooter is Shamit. i mean i just he's well, Sh-
0: Shamit's a shooting guard okay yeah. fine i'm fine with that <laughs> yeah sorry you see it's yeah.
1: it's possible because i don't think we talked about him in the shooting guard, so yeah, he'll like, he, put he, him in. It's
0: yeah, it's weird that he is and we did shooting guards much earlier
1: too exactly against, so like he, was... he hadn't played enough at that point for us to really talk about him so i maybe i included him partially for that as well and also the clippers are running this three guard rotation and it gets a little bit confusing to try to ascertain roles for all those guys
0: yeah I, I mean i think he you know as a starting shooting guard he's someone we would talk about in the shooting guards a little bit more but yeah i mean i know he's listed as a point guard on, on espn and he was talked about as a point guard coming out Right. and yesterday. and i
1: think that's what that's what philly intended for him i mean granted the, again i think philly intended intended for him to defend point guards not to run their offense that's part of the reason i use that distinction
0: yeah um yeah i think that's why
1: so uh, biggest risers and fallers here uh for you dear and fox i mean is is the most prominent one i mean that's going from going from being like i i think i had him in one of the fringe tiers just because i liked his game going back to when we saw him at the hoop summit but not not like oh he's playing well right now he's an important one drew holiday took another rise he went from tier three to tier three to now but that's like i think you went from like nine to five that's a pretty big jump in terms of that significant in terms of significance no i think i think i did would like 16 or 17 you were higher on him last year than i was trey young obviously but he wasn't in the league last year d'angelo russell i mean pretty big jump for somebody that you and i are both lower on than almost everybody
0: yeah that to yeah, go f- like he's been better than we expected, but we're still lower on him the, than most. I think right. Is I
1: think that I think that's fair. Augustine, notable riser. I mean, and, and I always like it when a veteran. We talked about this with his teammate Nikola Vucevic yesterday. Vucevic, sorry. That I like it when a veteran really shows a lot more. And those guys have both been so integral to Orlando's success this year I mean Derek White just proving it a little bit more I've really liked his defense Derek Rose Derek Rose yeah another good one
0: yeah I mean now still obviously some health concerns there um let's see if there's anyone else I mean Monte Morris was completely off the radar and you know we didn't even talk about he was on a two-way last year we didn't even talk about him last year and now he's uh is uh, certainly a, a solid backup that they can feel good about going forward how about Fallers
1: Westbrook, I mean, going from I think he went from six to nine for me. That's a, yeah. that's that's an important drop, and I mean, we'll we'll see whether that continues. It might just be that I'm selling stock too early. I I don't think so. That's my my instinct on it right now. Lowry dropped from I think seven to ten. That's another important one, and yeah. and this and ten might be the high water mark for him the rest of his career. Like I might sure. just be again. I might just yeah, I mean, be
0: high. It, it's hard to see how he. It, and he just can't do enough uh,
1: yeah like i'm fine anymore. with him being 10 right now but i'm acknowledging yeah. that if like when we do this a year from now it wouldn't surprise me at all if he's further down in the list and possibly significantly so Drogic last year was he he was about a six months or whatever off of having a pretty damn good season and now it's been a year and a half since that season i think that hurts him a lot yeah teague. teague has had a had really a lost season i Rubio, actually had isaiah too. As like oh yeah
0: 14 last year with just a thought that maybe he could get back to uh, the level that he had been as respect for what he had done the previous year but you know now with having missed all this time and yeah granted he didn't get much of an audition in denver but uh, didn't didn't seem like he was anywhere close to being back and you know i mean maybe he could get back to being sort of a six-man score type at some point in his career but you know i mean he's he's not in like the top 60 point guards right now.
1: And then for me, there's another group where it's just guys that I wasn't really sold on before, but they had done stuff and I'm just more clearly sour on them. That would include Dennis Schroeder, Chris Dunn, Terry Rozier, Alfred Payton probably to a lesser degree because I was just lower on him originally so he didn't have as far to fall yeah, yeah probably shooter
0: shooter took a big ju- i mean i had him in kind of the like low 20s range and now i have him as like one of these guys who's a clear negative because you know the thought was all right he's just he, he's got he was the point starting point guard on a playoff team for atlanta the previous year and then you know you felt like all right he's just on such a bad team he has to do so much you know they're tanking etc they, they held him out of games and all right can he we didn't like the contract we didn't like the carmelo Trade, especially giving up the first round pick in addition to take on a contract that we didn't care for and oh you know, yeah they got off the mellow money etc but you know to give up the first rounder and take back shooter, you know it seems like to get off the mellow money maybe one of those two things it would have been warranted uh Well, and and in that that, specific,
1: the opportunity cost of having him and not trying other guys at backup point guard, not being able to use the mid-level exception, all those type of things as well, which get undersold in the Schroeder trade, but are real consequences.
0: Yeah, uh, that's uh, definitely the case. So, I I mean, Schroeder just has not, uh, now granted, you might say that he was in a better position to succeed offensively in Atlanta last year, where at least they had a few shooters than on this backup unit in OKC that just, you know, when Paul George isn't playing, they have nobody who can shoot. But nonetheless uh he is
1: but but i I think the point is like even ignoring contract why would you take that gamble there are a lot of other like like skilled guys that have more upside or just don't bring as much of the downside we also hope that he would be better defensively he did have some some signs early in the year but i'm not really moved by that either big
0: follow for me someone we haven't mentioned yet was tyus jones i had him in kind of the solid backup category last year someone who could maybe mature into being a low-end starter and, and he's had plenty of chances this year with the injuries to rosa and teague and it's been a real struggle for him some of his stats 48% true shooting on only 14% usage not taking any threes either only 4 per 100 possessions that's pretty bad assist rate is relatively high but only 40 40- four percent from two he doesn't really get to the foul line 2.3 free throw attempts per 100 possessions just an an atrocious season for him going into restricted free agency for someone with we thought at least could be a high-end backup and who played very well and they played really well with him on the floor a season ago he's also had some injury issues as well maybe that's part of why he just hasn't been able to make shots
1: yeah, and some of these followers, I mean, I mentioned Rozier and DeLon Wright as well. Just, I'm just not as sold. Like, I thought I thought there was maybe more upside than they have shown this year, and both of them have had opportunities at least a little bit. And they're going, in like Tyus Jones, into restricted free agency, and I'm going to be watching to see what teams take something more positive away, or if they just kind of end up in the situation where nobody gives them a great offer, and then either they take the qualifying offer, or they get, get a sheet that's so mediocre that their team matches on it, not enthusiastically like that that's a possibility for Terry Rozier now I granted I expect you know the any it only takes one or it only takes two idea to take hold with Terry Rozier in particular but it wouldn't so so I acknowledge that but I'm I'm not entirely sure that it will
0: Another faller, Chris Paul, down to number five, and that might be a little generous to him. A riser, I forgot to mention, is Kyrie Irving, because we did this last year. I think when he had already had that surgery, there's some real concerns about his health. He's come back, hasn't? You know, he's missed a few games. And I think he's always that's always gonna be the case over his career, but he's playing at a really high level again. I had him at number two as opposed to number five last year, moved up a tier as well. Um, quinn cook is someone i think who is a solid shooter and scorer, and i think you know and he doesn't have size but i think he gives a decent effort defensively he's someone who to me would be a good fit as a backup point guard in a larger role provide a little bit of scoring it and shooting but you know and also can play next to someone who's a little bit more ball dominant he's, he's not a good passer obviously Um, uh, but he, he's someone who i think you know could be a backup point guard at least who can guard the other team's point guard and play next to another creative like i think he would be a nice fit as a backup point guard on like a philly or something on a minimum contract you know much more so than say tj mcconnell who you know the other guy had in kind of this iffy backup category of just being a little bit too limited and his game hasn't really evolved much um Who do you see as the guys who could rise up the most next year?
1: It's not really going to be that group from eleven to fourteen or fifteen for me because I think those guys have already done a lot of it. They could move in, like especially if Kyle Lowry, possibly Russell Westbrook, take a step back. For me, it's yeah.
0: more blood. So too
1: a little bit lower. So maybe somebody like Derek White or Shea or Colin Sexton that they just move up a couple of tiers and that makes a big difference. To like, I just think of them as more of a starter. Dejounte could be there. We'll see what happens after this lost last year maybe I mean, depending on how the raptors what happens with them maybe fred van Vliet is in a different situation and he either proves or disproves yeah, the theory i think
0: he's got a I, I think he's got a ceiling though you know i would agree with never, that he's never going to get higher than like you know number 20 or something just because he's too limited offensively at this position although i actually have him at number 17 this year so maybe <laughs> <laughs> that's under, maybe his ceiling is number 15 uh, but yeah but I, i'm also, low
1: i'm lower on him than you are right now i think he's yeah, in my 20s and, and,
0: and that indicates the instability and lack of established candidates in kind of that 15 to 20 range right now you know i think that there are other guys who will fill that and jump above him in future years
1: yeah we just don't know who they are
0: yet that's fine. um you know lonzo is someone who could really yeah. pop up terry rozier is someone who could really pop up you mentioned white uh i think dj augustin is one of the bigger candidates for a potential fall I-
1: i'm um, I'm not saying i expect it but markel fultz has the talent i have him
0: uh, he's so yeah i mean he's so far away but Yeah,
1: but I actually have him in my he's at the very, very bottom of my rotation worthy group. I even think if he can't shoot just with the other part, like he's a decent passer and we'll see what he can do defensively that I would give him. I wouldn't give him the amount of guaranteed money he's going to get next year, but that's a different question. Oh, and I would have put this as a riser, even though he ended up as one of the last guys in my rotation worthy. Emmanuel Mudiay was so disastrous last year, and for him to be like a guy that you would consider having on a roster next year is a pretty big improvement. And I, I want to acknowledge that.
0: Yeah, I still have him as a as a pretty big negative, even with those improvements. But yeah, I mean, there's a he's still pretty young. Dennis Smith is another one where you know maybe he can get away from being just like an active negative. Uh, that would be huge for him. Aaron Holiday, I could be yes. moving oh, into, into the solid backup category. You know, I have him kind of in the iffy backups uh, right now. Um, you know, Tony Parker, we haven't mentioned him at all. I had him in the iffy backup. He probably would be in the solid backup category if you could trust his health a little bit more. I mean, he just hasn't been available enough. I think that's been a big part of why the Hornets just haven't been able to keep it going these last couple of months is just that he has been unable to stay on the floor. They've had to go with Devontae Graham and they've had to play... Um, Dwayne Bacon a lot more than we're like by the way last night as the Hornets got completely blown out by the Warriors you know James Borrego had a, a very short presser in which he did he's like yeah I didn't think we had a professional approach I didn't think we we're ready to play and then he got asked well why do you think it was that they're unprofessional he did the dreaded I don't know you'll have to ask them whatever the coach says you have to ask the player you know that he's like pretty pissed off but and Borrego I mean he just he's been so desperately searching for stuff on the wings I mean they've tried everybody on the way I mean he was giving Batum a DMPCD now he was back again coming off the bench they've gone with Bacon they've gone with Graham Lamb has started he's come off the bench uh Monk was in the, the rotation early in the year and Now he's totally out of the rotation. He's been trying everything that he can, really. Uh, MKG didn't play at all until garbage time last night. He was in the rotation before. He was playing some center before. He really just, you know, part of that has been maybe those guys haven't performed and you feel like he has to keep changing things up part of it may be you know that he hasn't done a good job of defining roles and you know he's been too quick to react i'm not sure which uh, you would say there but uh in any event that was a quick aside on the hornets just because i that was on my mind yesterday
1: one other player we haven't mentioned to this and it's mostly because of injuries is dante exum i i put him in the rotation worthy but not like even the the solid backup category because he hasn't been particularly great when he's played and we have no idea how often he's going to be able to be on the court
0: yeah he's another one too to me was towards the lower end of the iffy backups type of guys
1: all right are we done here yeah I, I i think we are and i'll have some pieces coming out i'm working on a on a warriors piece about their best five band lineup i don't know i think that'll probably run on tuesday or wednesday so you can look for that on
0: the athletic all right we will catch you all tomorrow night hope you enjoyed this one and we'll be posting these rankings on patreon patreon.com slash duncan or at least i will be posting mine uh and still hoping to catch up on some of those other posts uh, that we've done as well till next time